Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Evening Standard of the D1TN5 for Tuesday, March 1st. I'm Anthony Grassi. The Oregonian's John Canzano wonders whether Portland State AD finalist, Morgan State Senior Associate AD for External Relations and Development, Lydell Sargent, former Nebraska Senior Deputy AD and Chief of Staff, John Johnson, and San Jose State Senior Deputy AD, Rob Clark, will understand the complexity of the job, noting the issues that face PSU are tricky and the obstacles imposing. The finalists will get final interviews this week. Canzano writing, The hope here is that they spend as much time grilling PSU as the university does asking questions of them, as in, what role does PSU President Stephen Percy play in support of campus athletics? The new athletic director isn't going to get to walk in and make a splashy coaching hire or implement a bunch of fresh ideas. Whoever takes this job is going to be handed an instructional manual and a directive to not ask the administration for a cent of funding. North Dakota Athletic Director Bill Chaves agrees to a four-year extension through spring 2026. President Andrew Armacost saying, We are proud that under his leadership, our student-athletes have demonstrated their ability to shine in sports, in the classroom, and in the community, fulfilling the most important mission of an institution of higher education. Bill has also played an instrumental role in guiding UND's transition into two new athletics conferences. Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov explains the decision to vote against college football playoff expansion. Specifically, he cites the Rose Bowl and revenue distribution as issues he wants to see ironed out first. In the years when it would host a semifinal game on the second week of January, the Rose Bowl also wants to stage a traditional Pac-12 versus Big Ten matchup on New Year's Day in a protected window, the Mercury News' John Wilner points out. Lyovkov says the majority of those in the CFP room support that position, but there are a few folks that would like to see the Rose Bowl harmed. On the more significant topic, according to Wilner, of revenue distribution, Klyovkov explains the vote was for beyond year 13, 2026. And what we have in year 13 and beyond is no contractual commitment to each other. There's no grant of rights, there's no contract. What you need to expand beyond that is just enough people to say they want to agree on playing in a certain format and then move forward. When he pressed the issue, Klyovkov says he was told, quote, we're not going to commit to the current revenue split and we're not going to discuss that. So are you voting yes or no? And in my life, I've never voted or signed a contract where I don't know the financial terms of that contract. So I was forced to vote no. I would have much rather agreed on expansion. Asked why others then voted yes, Klyovkov responds in part, I think others are desperate for access to the CFP and would have voted for anything that gave them access. I can't speak for other commissioners. I don't know the answer. Fordham wore a Ukrainian flag on its men's basketball jerseys in support of student-athlete Rostislav Novitsky, who is one of eight Ukrainian student-athletes currently playing in the U.S., according to Columbia professor Joe Favorito. CBS's Matt Norlander catches up with some of those Ukrainian men's basketball student-athletes to discuss the impact of Russia's invasion on Ukraine. Tulsa student-athlete Nikita Konstantinovsky was pulled aside during warm-ups before the Golden Hurricanes game against SMU and told someone wanted to speak with him. Konstantinovsky remarked, I knew his face, but I still couldn't believe what was happening at first. When former President George W. Bush expressed his desire to share his support for Ukraine with Konstantinovsky directly. 
The morning after the game, he called his family in Kyiv. Through the phone, I could hear the bombs. My mother got quiet and my heartbeat just stopped. It was so painful to hear my mother be concerned about what was going to happen tomorrow. On Sunday night, he told Norlander, I'm talking to you right now and I'm pretty sure they're getting bombed. I can't believe this is happening in my hometown where I walked on the streets with my friends and relatives, walked to school when it was peaceful. And now there's tanks, fire everywhere, people can't walk outside. Tomorrow is not promised. That's what I started understanding. San Francisco student athlete Vladimir Markovetsky, meanwhile, emphasizes that I know a lot of people pray for Ukraine and I know a lot of people have donated money, but the politicians started this and only they can finish this. I'm ready for any moment to fight for Ukraine, for my mom, for my father, for my people. I am ready to fight for Ukraine at any time. The NCAA's new COVID guidance for men's and women's basketball tournaments encourages indoor masking when tier one individuals are not practicing and competing in their hotel room or eating and drinking. Each team may also implement protocols in keeping with local public health authorities in the updated CDC guidance on COVID-19 community level and COVID prevention. Before traveling to championship sites, all tier one individuals must be tested for COVID or meet the requirements for exemption from testing. To be exempt, a tier one participant must be fully vaccinated or have documentation of a COVID infection within the previous 90 days. Thank you for tuning in to the Evening Standard of the D1T5 for Tuesday, March 1st. I'm Anthony Grassi, and be sure to check back in bright and early tomorrow morning.